السلام عليكم الله أكبر الله أكبر الله أكبر الله أكبر أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله أشهد أن محمد رسول الله أشهد أن محمد رسول الله حي على الصلاة حي على الصلاة حي على الفلاح الله أكبر الله أكبر لا إله إلا الله حق لا إله إلا الله إن الحمد لله نحمده تعالى ونستعينه ونستهديه ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن سيدنا محمدا عبده ورسوله بلغ رسالة وأدى الأمانة ونصح للأمة وجاهد في الله حق جهاده وارض اللهم عن الصحابة والتابعين وتابعهم بإحسان إلى يوم الدين Dear brothers and sisters, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh The topic of my khutbah today requires intense focus It is not an emotional khutbah for I know that your emotions are already high and I don't need to inflame them more. I chose a topic for this khutbah, the way forward, for I am appealing to your rational, reasoning, intellectual side more than I am appealing to your emotional side. I called it the way forward because I've spent 10 years, the last 10 years of my adult life, trying to answer a question, this question, what is the way forward? How can we, as a Muslim community, take our rightful place and contribute to the current modernity? I don't want to call it civilization because it's more modern than civilized, in an Islamic way. The khutbah is, two, is four parts. The first part, I will contextualize, meaning I will describe the current situation in brief, because you have the details. Then I will identify the problem that needs addressing. The bulk of the khutbah is 
focused on providing a solution at the individual level and at the organizational level, because you can't do one without the other. And if there is time left, for Sheikh Qatanai just called me and said that I needed to finish by a certain time. Although I'm not known to go over time, but I guess people are always concerned about that. So the last thing I would cover is the significance of doing what I'm suggesting that we do. So to start with, the situation in Gaza, actually in all of Palestine, and many other places, in northern Syria, in Yemen, in most of the Muslim world, in many, many places in the Muslim world, it's, it's dire. It's dire. I mean, the, the, yes, in Gaza there is genocide going on. But the same problem is happening in many other places. Our Syrian brothers lost more than a million people. And it's hardly a topic of discussion. One million and nine million people driven out of their homes. Yemen, 400,000 Muslims killed in Yemen. And it's not even a topic for discussion. Yesterday in Sudan, there were massacres in Sudan that if I didn't tell you where they took place, you would think that they took place in Gaza. With Arab support, by the way, this time. Sahayinat al-Arab. So there's no need for me to provide more detail. You already know the details. All you have to do is just go into social media. Stay away from network channels because their number one job is to sanitize and whitewash the situation. I've stopped watching them. They are a bunch of liars. And everything they say is fake on both sides of the argument. We used to think that one side is better than the other. When it comes to Palestine and to Muslim issues, it's fake news all the way. So I personally suggest you don't waste a minute. So what is the problem? The real problem, ya ya is that I personally have been here 50 years in this country. Some of us have been here longer than that. And after 50 years, we still have to be able to make a difference in the decision-making process in this country. We are unable to elect people, and we are unable to convince the elected people that somebody else elected to make a decision that's even neutral. We're not asking anybody to be on our side, to at least be neutral, to see things the way they are. And that is the real problem we should be talking about day and night, at dinner tables, at home, in school, in the masjid, everywhere. And I don't want anybody to tell me that this is politics, this is a non-profit. You can, you can educate people about politics. As long as you don't tell people to vote for column A or column B, you are not violating non-profit law. I know. I studied this for the last 10 years. I'm a professional. I know what I'm talking about. It's covered in Title 75 in the New Jersey statute, if you want to know. Go look it up. Yet, there are some people that find it very easy for themselves. In management, I'm not talking about this masjid. In many masjids around us. They'll tell you, oh, we can't talk politics. Why? Because you're a, we're a non-profit. Do you even know what it means? We're a non-profit? 
What does it entail? What are you allowed and not allowed to do? Have you ever read Title 75? Almost 80 pages of law? Then what gives you the right to say that we cannot talk about Gaza because it's politics? Or we cannot talk about Syria or anything else? I don't want to dwell on this point. So the problem, ya ikhwa, that we need to address, and wallahi, in every single board meeting or general, general assembly meeting of every community center and every masjid, the first question should be, Mr. Executive Director, whoever it is, Ibrahim or anybody else, what are you going to do about this problem? What problem? The problem that we are ghutha'un ka is sail. We're like foam on the surface of the river, as the Prophet described it. When are we going to get out of this foaming business? Enough. 50 years is enough. So that is the problem. And to address the problem, we need to discuss it at two different levels. The level of the people. People means you and I, the, the general community, the individual. And the second one is at the level of organizations. But before I even go that deep, let's go back and talk about the current context that we're in. As bad as it seems, ya as bad as it seems, we see a lot of people reverting to Allah They're discovering Islam. There are people that have never known anything about Islam. They are watching the mothers carrying their dead babies and saying, Alhamdulillah. They see the father preparing his three or four or five. There was a mother the other day, she had eight children lined up, ready to be buried. Hasbunallahu ni'mal wakil. And she's sitting there saying, Alhamdulillah. People are saying, what is what is in these people's mind, in their heart? What makes these people say Alhamdulillah at a time of calamity like this? They expect somebody who lost someone to be turning to Allah and saying, Ya Allah, why me? As most people do. And instead, Allahumma jurni fi musibati. Subhanaka ya Rabb. Ya ikhwa, this is big. Wallahi, law anfaqta ma fil ardi jami'an. Had we spent all the money in the world, to make people see we're a real Muslim, like Khalid Nabhan, Ruh al Ruh, to see what a real Muslim is like, we would have failed. And yet, without any effort from us, with only the effort of those sabirin, those steadfast in Gaza, the whole world is changing. And let me quantify that for you. A month ago, I hear that in France, in one month, since the beginning of October 7, more than 20,000 people embraced Islam. In France alone. That on a daily basis, three to 400 people are saying, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah wa ashhadu anna Muhammad rasulullah. In France alone, on a daily basis. And that's happening here. I don't have the numbers, but it will come out. Just like it did after September 11, the numbers will come out. But the evidence is that people are يدخلون في دين الله أفواجا. 
والحمد لله على ذلك. I feel bad that we have not contributed to that. We have failed miserably. والله يا إخوة as a community, if we were true Muslims, this country would have been Muslim already. Just like what happened in Indonesia. In, in, in, in Indonesia. But that's another topic for another day. So alhamdulillah, people are discovering Islam. When we read the Quran, we read the surah, surah al-Nasr. A'udhu billahi shatashim, idha jaa nasrullahi wal-fatih. Taib, what does it look like when the Nasr, the victory, shows up? And then in the same surah, in the next ayah, وَرَأَيْتَ النَّاسَ يَدْخُلُونَ فِي دِينِ اللَّهِ أَفْوَاجًا The way Nasr looks like is people entering the deen of Allah. Subhanallah. There is no description of people being conquered and taken to prison or killed or anything like that. Hashanillah. And real victory, ya is the victory of the deen of Allah Azza wa Jal. Is when the deen of Allah Azza wa Jal rises above everything else. That is how we see victory. It's not about defeating people. Although we'd love to see armies like the apartheid army, the, the occupation army defeated, but the real victory would be when thousands and thousands of people say, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah, wa ashhadu anna Muhammadan Rasulullah, and it's happening with us or without us. That's the will of Allah Azza wa so these are some aspects of what's going on. I mean, there are many, many other, I can list 10 things that are beneficial to Islam and Muslims as a result of what's going on. One of them is that it actually exposed who are the real Muslims and who are not. It exposed the real enemies of Allah Azza wa We see what they're doing. At the same time, they are, they are pretending to be unable to provide food or never mind protection, food and water, to the imprisoned people of Gaza. We see their convoys and their trucks traveling 1,500 miles from one end of the Middle East to the other to deliver it to the occupation forces. Both sides. May Allah punish them for what they're doing. If this didn't happen, I, I would worry because Rasulullah predicted this. In the one hadith that describes a ta'if al-mansura, Prophet says those people, those victorious group of people, he described where they were, he said they are Naskalan and they are Naskalan. But then he says, La man khadalahum. And I'm sure Shaykh Qatanani and other Mashaykh brought up this point before that they will not be harmed by those who let them down. The hadith doesn't say, لا يضرهم من خالفهم. They are not harmed by anybody who opposes them. That goes without saying. But the hadith says, لا يضرهم من خذلهم. They will not be hurt by those who let them down. And what other way to describe the position of all the Arabs surrounding and Muslims surrounding Gaza other than الخذلان. الله يخذلهم إن شاء الله. May Allah Azza wa Jal give them what they deserve. I'm not going to specify. Leave it up to Allah Azza wa Jal. So that's the context. 
So again, the problem is that yeah, well, we're unable to change the decision-making process. Years ago, when we first came to this country, there was a big debate about whether Muslims should even be involved. And they were champions of this argument. Until Jahabidat al-Ilm, until the great scholars like Taha Jabir al-Alwani, rahimahullah, he just passed away. Good friend of mine, I met him back in the 80s. He came out and he said, imagine living, in a, because they kept saying, is it halal to participate in a kafir government? He said to them, let's ask the question differently. Imagine Muslims found themselves living in a country, a country that gives them the opportunity to elect or select their leadership and to decide on the laws that are affecting their lives, the lives of their children, the future of themselves, and the Muslims outside. Should they take advantage of that opportunity or say, no, thank you very much, we are Muslims? Once he put the question that way, in a very logical way, that only somebody who is like not there would, would, would object to, alhamdulillah, many people came around. So it's not an, it's a non-issue. And even at this time, the most recent survey by Pew in 2017, it still shows that 30% of our community believes that Islam is incompatible with democracy. In other words, we Muslims can only work under a dictator. That's basically what they believe. Leave him alone. Don't, don't, don't, don't get involved. 30%. That's a huge number, ya akhwa. That could make a huge difference. That's as late as 2017. I don't know what happened after October 7th. But the number is still high. So that is a real problem that we need to deal with. Now, let's talk about the role of the community. As a community, the most recent data that I collected myself, and again, as a professional, shows that 50% of our community is totally inactive. 50%. And by the way, that's the same percentage in the general society. There is a similar study that was done in 2002 that shows that 50% of American society is not involved in anything. They leave things, let it be. They sit there and watch baseball and, hot, and eat hot dog, and to them it doesn't matter who. Whoever marries my mother is my uncle. That's an Arab saying, basically saying it doesn't matter who's the ruler. 50%. What about the rest? The rest, are divided this way. In the American society, let me give you the context within the American society. In the American society, there is people that do what's called civic action, amal madaniya, and then there's political action, and there's both. 16% do both. The other ones equally are involved in political activities and civic activities. That's in the general society. Now let's look at the Muslims. My own research shows that 50% don't do anything. We agree on that. We have a job to activate those people. I'll talk about that in a minute. What about the rest? 16% are dual activists. In other words, they are active in political activism and in civic activism. 30%. 
30% are involved in civic activism and only 8%, if you are up, that's 100, are political activists. Now, some of you are saying, what is the difference? And let me tell you, I have seen posters by professional organizations conflating the two. Even professionals cannot tell the difference. In brief, ya ikhwa, I'll recite an ayah and it will explain what I'm saying. A'udhu billahi minash tarajim. In Surah At-Tawbah, ayah 19. Surah 9, ayah 19. A'udhu billahi minash tarajim. Aj'altum siqayat al-hajji wa'imarat al-masjid al-harami kaman amana billahi wal-yawm al-akhir wa'jahada fi sabilillah la yastawun. لا يستوون عند الله. This ayah is the only ayah in the Quran that identifies that our activism makes a difference what we do. Allah is asking me to tell you to come forward. Apparently the masjid is full and some of you have space. So please, if you can come forward. Actually, I have a, quick, a quicker way to do it. Stand up like you're standing for salah. All of you, stand up like you're standing for salah. Line up as if we are going to do iqamah just right now. Fill the gaps and then sit down. You'll see there will be many lines empty in the back. We usually do this right before the, uh, after the iqamah. We can do it now. Jazakumullahu khairan. If you see a gap, just fill it. The ayah in Surah At-Tawbah. Wallahi, I was thinking about this topic. Is there evidence in the Quran or the Sunnah that differentiates between what we do? It's all good deeds. Until it dawned on me, I remembered this one ayah. And it's one single ayah, the entire Quran, that differentiates. And what it basically says, Ya Akhwa, is that our deen wants us to take care of the poor and the hungry and the destitute and the neighbor, and to visit the sick in the hospital, and do all of these things. But that should not be the limit to what we do, which is unfortunately where our energy is expended. We as a community, we want to please Allah Azza wa I'm talking about not the half that are doing nothing. I'm talking about the 30% Jazahumullahu khairan. We want to do good stuff. But we are not doing what's even more important, which is stand up to the people who purport to be representing us. To the public officials, the congressmen, the senators, all these people, that are paid, their salaries are paid from your taxes and mine. And yet when we call them up to tell them about the genocide in Gaza, they don't want to hear it. You go to their offices in Washington or right here in Newark to knock on their door and say, come here, I elected you. Why can't you say anything? Why is just simply a ceasefire not even on the table for discussion? We should be asking these questions, but we're not. Why? Because we are busy distributing turkeys on Thanksgiving. I'd rather you don't distribute turkeys and you don't make nice with your neighbors because the time right now calls for political action more than civic action. We need to start learning the difference. Islamically, we need to do both. But Allah says, Do you consider giving water to the pilgrims 
and taking care of the Masjid al-Haram, the sacred mosque, to, to sweep and clean, make sure it's ready for the pilgrims. You think that is the same as standing up to the tyrants who are sending billions and billions of dollars of weapons and bombs to kill our children in Gaza? Is that the same? La Allah. It's not the same. It's about time we Muslims start to recognize that. If you had a choice to go give a turkey to someone or to stand in a demonstration or to go and knock on the door of a political officer to tell them, what are you doing in my name? The latter is what we should be doing. That's what Allah wants us to be doing. The discussion about whether politics is halal or haram, it's over. Wallahi, if somebody raises this issue, my immediate answer is, go back where you came from. Because that's what they taught you. They taught you wherever you came from, and I don't care which country you come from, that politics is bad business. Just leave it to us. And then they wind up stealing the billions and billions of dollars of the provisions and of the resources of the country on armies that kill its own people. That's what's happening over there. But this is different, Yahuwah. We're in America. Your right to speak up is guaranteed by the Constitution. And wallahi, unless we activate ourselves, that right will be taken away. They'll carve out an exception in the Constitution. And they will say, everyone has freedom of speech, all the Bill of Rights items for everyone except. And in between quotes, they'll say Muslims, or maybe they'll say Arabs, they'll say Palestinians. They'll, they'll carve out in the Constitution. And if you don't believe what I'm saying, go read the provisions of the Patriot Act that was passed in record time after September 11. There is a pathway for them to do what I just warned about. And right now, in Germany, in Germany, you can no longer become a citizen if you do not declare your support and approval of the apartheid state that shall not be named on the sacred member. Yes. When you raise your hand to pledge allegiance, you don't pledge allegiance to Germany. You are now pledging allegiance to the apartheid state. And if you don't think that could happen here, just wait around, you'll see. Unless we act. So that's at the individual level. Well, we have a job. We have a job to do. We have to elevate our thinking. Stop thinking like you're still living in Amman or Silwan or wherever village you come from. You're in America. Wake up. You have rights. Take advantage of them. The other thing we need to do, some of us consider themselves part of this community, but their involvement is iffy. Whenever there's crisis, they show up, and then after the crisis are over, they disappear. And there's others whose membership is by name only. We need to activate those people, Ya We need to make them realize that when we lose, they lose. We all lose together. Wallahi, they're not going to come in and ask you, into musalli ulala. They spent $100 million in 2010 in a project in New York City alone. And it's all documented. It was called the Demographic Project. $100 million led by the ex-deputy CIA director that involved spying on your children and mine in the schools of the tri-state area. 
and not just students and what they're writing and what they're saying. They even chased one man into a jewelry store and they watched him pick a ring for his fiance. I mean, they considered going to the masjid, going to a hookah lounge, going to any hangout, into a barber shop where Al Jazeera is playing. These are the guidelines that if somebody went to a to, to a barber shop where Al Jazeera is playing, that was considered suspicious, quote unquote, suspicious activity. This is the kind of nonsense that took place, not yesterday, not the year before, as far back as 2010. And it was exposed thanks to an organization called the Vera Project, who's not even a Muslim organization, who exposed all of this, and then the ACLU jumped in and sued the city and made them shut down the program. After having spent more than $100 million spying on your children and mine. And that happened right under our nose with our tax dollars. And a lot more could happen forward if we are not careful. أقول قولي هذا واستغفر الله العظيم والمالي ولكم فيها فوز المستغفرين. الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه ومن والاه. Now what about our organizations? يا إخوة. Nonprofit organizations in this country go back a long way to the beginning of the nation. And it's a unique feature of the United States that if it's used properly, it can make a big difference, a positive difference. These nonprofits mediate between the people and the government. They stand in the middle. The government doesn't listen to individuals. They listen to their representatives. And the bigger they are, the better it is. So if somebody from ICPC goes to talk to Pascrell, they may or may not listen. But if 25 masjids got together and they went to Trenton and or they went to Washington, that, then they listen. This is how things go in this country. It's, it's being together. But these organizations have their responsibilities. And I warned Ibrahim, I said, I'm going to say things you may not like and you can fire me. I won't come back. It doesn't matter. I'm going to say it everywhere, not just here, in every masjid. Ya ikhwa, our masajid, our nonprofits in general, suffer from three maladies. And this is identified in the literature. If anybody goes to graduate school and studies nonprofit management, these three things are, they are prevalent in all nonprofits, not just Muslim organizations. Number one, amateurism. Meaning that the people who lead these organizations are amateurs. It doesn't mean they don't, they're not smart. It doesn't mean they don't know what they're doing. It simply means that they are not professional nonprofit managers. They are doctors, they're engineers, Jazahumullah khairan. They're the ones that spend the money and launch these centers, Jazahumullah khairan. May Allah reward us all. I'm one of them. But it reaches a point where you need a professional. You need somebody who knows this, just like when you hire for a business, you hire an MBA, somebody with a master's in business administration. In an organization like this, they need somebody with an MPA, P like Paul, meaning a master in public administration, means that this person has studied specifically nonprofit organizations. Many nonprofits don't have that. Either they don't know or they can't for whatever reason. So amateurism is number one. 
Number two, insufficiency. Alhamdulillah, we Muslims don't have that problem, but many masajid, many organizations have that, which is not having enough money. One of my professors many years ago was shocked when I told her that I've been in this country for 50 years. I've never seen a masjid go out of business. Alhamdulillah, of course. But this is usually a problem. The other one is paternalism. Paternalism, ya ikhwa, men rule. Most of our organizations are run by men, as if women don't exist. What about akhawatna? Among our daughters and our sisters, don't we have a, a superior court judge from this community? Alhamdulillah. But how many more are not involved because they are not invited? They have no seat at the table. Our sisters are 50% of our society. They're educated, they're smart, they're multitaskers. And I'm not patronizing the sisters in the back. I am stating a fact. Unless we activate our sisters, look at what they're doing in colleges and universities. Almost every demonstration that I see out there for Gaza is led by sisters. And not just Arab sisters, not Ghazan sisters, even Desi sisters, Pakistanis, Indo-Pakistanis, all of a sudden they show up like they didn't exist before. And it only tells me one thing, that the men are keeping them under wraps. It's enough. And don't wait for them to come in, knock on our door and saying, I need to serve on the board. Invite them. And if they have children, hire a babysitter to take care of the children. Let them come and use their intellectual ability to contribute to the growth of this community. Last but not least, our management, and I'll end with this point. <laughs> Our managements need one of two things. And I'm speaking now high language, so I hope you understand what I'm saying. No offense meant to anybody. We need capacity building and strategic planning. Capacity building involves two things. Do we have money, yes or no? And the answer is yes, we do. So it's the other one. Leadership. I just touched on that. We need to upgrade our leadership. We need to have an executive director and everyone that can afford it, because executive directors don't come cheap. They cost a lot of money. You need to have an executive director who knows what he or she is doing. That is part of capacity building. They have the ability to think. Last thing that we need is a strategic plan. And many people pay lip service to that, unfortunately. Either because they don't know any better or because they do it intentionally. If they don't know any better, my job, the job of guys like me, academics and professionals, to explain that it's a certain way, not the other way. Well, what is the right way, brother? The right way is that you invite the stakeholders, meaning the people that you serve, the donors that donate, the smart people in the community, all of them. The old, the young, the women, the, the boys, everybody, college students, you invite representation. You have them sit in a room and you listen to them and listen what strategic goals they have for the community. Once you come up with those goals, prioritize them. Make a short list of three or four. That is the time when you go to the community and you say, I have these big strategic goals. Where did you come from? They came from you. We held a strategic planning retreat. You were invited, you didn't show up, but the rest did. We came up with these goals that we'd like to accomplish. One of them, a senior citizen center for all the growing old people in our community. They need a place to get together. MashaAllah, now we need your support. When you do it this way, they will support you. When you tell them that this was your choice, 
This is not the same as saying we, all 15 of us, the smart men in the community, older men in the community who somehow know everything. We sat in a room and decided that this should be our future strategic goals. I, as a donor, will say, take your strategic goals and do you know what with them, because I was not consulted and I'm not going to support it. Only if we do it the right way, becoming a stronger community becomes maybe number one or two on the list. And only then we'll figure out how to do it, because, mashallah, we have a lot of smart people who would contribute to that. I hope and pray to Allah Azzawajal that I didn't offend anybody. أقول قولي هذا واستغفر الله العظيم لي ولكم فيا فوز المستغفرين استغفر الله اللهم يا رب انصر الإسلام وعز المسلمين وعلي فضلك كلمة الحق والدين ووافقنا لما تحبه وترضاه يا رب العالمين اللهم يا رب ارحم شهداءنا في غزة وتقبلهم مع الصديقين مع الأنبياء والصديقين يا رب العالمين اللهم يا رب خفف عن جرحهم واشفهم شفاء لا يغادر السقم اللهم يا رب أنزل شعبيب رحمتك على أهلنا في غزة على من فقدوا أحبابهم وذرياتهم يا رب العالمين وعوضهم خيرا منها يا الله اللهم يا رب اجعلنا عونا لهم اللهم يا رب استعملنا فيما نستطيع فيه دعمهم وعانتهم يا رب العالمين عباد الله إن الله يأمر بالعدل والإحسان وإيتاء ذي القربى وينهى عن الفحشاء والمنكر والبغي يعظكم لعلكم تذكرون اذكروا الله يذكركم واستغفروه يغفر لكم والسلام عليكم الله أكبر الله أكبر أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله أشهد أن محمد رسول الله حي على الصلاة حي على الفلاح قد قامت الصلاة قد قامت الصلاة الله أكبر الله أكبر لا إله إلا الله حقا لا إله إلا الله استقيموا عن تدل وثابنا وثابقنا صلوا صلاة مودة Pray for them in your sujood. Allahu Akbar. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahirrabbil alameen. Arrahmanirrahim. Maliki yawmiddin. Iyaka na'abudu wa iyaka nasta'in. Ahdina as-sarata al-mustaqim. Sarata al-ladhina an'amta alayhim. غير المغضوب عليهم ولا الضالين يا أيها الذين آمنوا استعينوا بالصبر والصلاة إن الله مع الصابرين الذين إذا أصابتهم مصيبة قالوا إنا لله وإنا إليه راجعون أولئك عليهم صلاة من ربهم ورحمة وأولئك هم المهتدون الله أكبر سمع الله لمن حمده الله أكبر الله أكبر الله أكبر الله أكبر 
Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Elhamdülillahi Rabbil alemin. Errahmanirrahim. Maliki yevmiddin. İyâke na'budu ve iyâke nesta'in. Uhdina sıratal müstakîm. Sıratal lezîne an'amte aleyhim gayr-ı mağdubi aleyhim ve lezzâllîn. İzâ câ'a nasrullâhi vel fetih ve râyten nâse yedhulûne fî dînillâhi afvâca. Fesebbih bihamdi rabbike ve estağfir. İnnehu kâne tevvâbâ. Allahu Allahu Ekber. Allahu Ekber. Allahu Ekber. Selamu aleyküm ve rahmetullah. Selamu aleyküm ve rahmetullah. Estağfirullah. Estamihakum azran akhtaat fi tilavet ayat surat al-Bakara. I made a mistake in reciting ayat 153 and 154 surat al-Bakara. I apologize for that. Estağfirullah.